Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. 48 hours listeners know to always expect the unexpected, including when home appliances break down. An American Home Shield warranty can restore your sense of security. It's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, contact American Home Shield and their trusted and qualified pros will fix or replace it. Right now, you could take 20% off. Go to ahs.com slash 48 to save 20%. That's ahs.com slash 48 for 20% off any plan. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. American Home Shield. Don't worry, be warranty. I'm Anne-Marie Green, and welcome to 48 Hours Postmortem. This week, we're talking to the team behind the 48 Hours episode called The Game Show and the Murder. Joining me today are 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty and producer Stephanie Slifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and we love talking about this case because we've spent the last few months talking about this case. We should get into it. Listen, if you are a true crime uh, junkie or if you have any interest in true crime, you'll remember when this case came out because it was a headline built for the tabloids. Just in case people can't remember, here's a quick recap. Tim Blevnik was arrested and charged in March 2023 with murdering his estranged wife, Becky Blevnik. The nurse and mother of three was found shot multiple times in her Quincy, Illinois home. After the arrest, an answer he gave on the game show, Family Feud, years earlier, got people talking. The question was, what is the number one regret that people have from their wedding day? And you said? I said, uh, saying I do. It was supposed to be funny. Prosecutors Josh Jones and Laura Keck say it wasn't the game show. It was other evidence that led them to Tim Bleefnick. The couple had been going through a contentious divorce, and Becky had told family and friends that she feared Tim might harm her. The idea of... of Murdering someone, let alone the mother of my kids, is not any part of who I am. And there was this surveillance video of a person riding a bike in the direction of Becky's house right before the murder, and in the opposite direction right after. 
Prosecutors believe it's Tim Bleefnik, but there's one big problem. I mean, you can't see whether it's male, female. It's no, terrible. It's the terrible. video's terrible. That's not Tim in that video. You can't tell who it is. Casey Schnock is Tim Bleefnik's defense attorney. There were prowlers in the area. It wasn't a random prowler. It was an execution. So this small town case gained national attention in large part due to an answer Tim gave on an episode of Family Feud. And while there's no connection between the murder and the show, is this how the case first got on your radar? Is this what piqued your interest? Well, I think we were like everybody else. Um, When you realize that three years earlier, before his wife is killed, he's making this offhanded remark about the regret he had on his wedding day with saying, I do. But of course, he was picking a very good answer for Family Feud. So, it was a good answer? Right. It was. It turned out to be like the it one. It was number two on the board. No. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, I mean, he really was playing the game right. Um, but, but really, I think the reason why I wanted to do it is that this was the perfect family when you looked at it from the outside, this beautiful couple with these three adorable kids living in Quincy, Illinois, you know, just the heart of of the Midwest. And they seem to have it all. So when I go into these kind of stories, I think, do they really have it right? Would would this man really throw his entire life away? Um, it didn't make sense because these kids would lose both their mom and their dad. It didn't make sense. So that's what drew me to it. Yeah. What about you, Stephanie? Absolutely. I agree with what Aaron said. I mean, of course, it came on our radar because of the family feud connection. That's what brought it to the top of the headlines. But we very quickly realized it was about a lot more. And in fact, when we went and met with the prosecutors, they even told us it has nothing to do with the case. Mm. It never factored into the prosecution. They never had plans to bring it up in court. In fact, the prosecutor said to us he felt it would have been denigrating to the case that they were putting together. Mm, so it was an unfortunate coincidence, but it had happened many years earlier. And, you know, most people at the time even thought it was just a joke. Becky's sister told us she wasn't really bothered by it at the time. Um, I think one of the things that kind of bothered me watching this is precisely what you said, Aaron, that this looked like a perfect family. But you know what? Perfect families fall apart. Uh, You know, marriages don't always work out. He says that she was under too much pressure. She was taking on too much. She says he was controlling. It wasn't working out. He left. He was getting everything that he wanted. And it would seem like it should not have ended like this. It didn't make sense. Um, People get divorced all the time and it doesn't end in murder. And Aaron asked Tim in the interview, you know, you filed for divorce. Why not just end it? Why have this drag out? And he didn't really want to get into the details of that for whatever reason. So how did you manage to get this interview with Tim? It took a lot of patience and perseverance. We started by sending Tim um, a letter and we did not hear anything back after that. And then we went to town for the trial and to begin conducting interviews We developed a relationship with his defense attorney. And, you know, we had mentioned to her repeatedly that we were interested in talking to Tim. We always are interested in talking to all sides in every story that we cover. And she indicated to us that she didn't think it was going to happen. He wasn't really up for speaking. And while we were in town, you know, the jail 
is right across the street from her office. And I said to her, do you mind if we just try to go visit him? And she said, sure, go try. So Aaron and I and our field producer, Gabby, walked across to the jail. We went in. We met with the sheriff who runs the jail. I thought you usually have to make appointments ahead of time or requests. This is Quincy, Illinois. Okay, okay. Which is a wonderful but small town. (laughs) Just a wonderful town. But uh, we got lucky, though, because they weren't even allowing in-person visits. It was all like video visits that they were doing at the jail. But we met with the sheriff and he agreed to let us meet with Tim in person that day. So he had his deputy lead us downstairs, brought us into a room. And next thing you know, we were face to face with Tim. And he wants to talk. Well, wait a minute. He was surprised to see us. He was surprised to see us (laughs) when he walked out and saw all of us there. I think he for a second thought, oh, what did I just get into? <laughs> um, but Stephanie stayed really in contact with them. And and I think Stephanie was very successful in explaining, look, um, he did not speak at all during his trial. This was an opportunity for him to say what he wanted to say to the American public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was still hesitant at first, even after we met with him. He didn't want to commit to anything then and there. But I think it was that night when we got home from Illinois and I got a text message on my phone and it was him. Yes, he can text from jail. It was bizarre. We had never (laughs) seen that. I had never seen that before, at least. But in this jail, he had access to some sort of a tablet and he could text anytime. And so I received a text saying, hi, Stephanie, it's Tim. And I was, wow. And we just we continued talking um, from there. And ultimately, he decided he did want to talk to us. So during this interview, Aaron, I found myself watching your face as much as I was watching him. What did you think of him? How did you feel about how that interview went? Well, one of the first things, and I think you've run into this, too, whenever you interview somebody uh, who's in jail or prison um, you want to keep them in the seat. And it's a very difficult dance at times because you have to ask the very tough questions you do. Um, but you don't you want to do it in a way that they they feel that they can answer and really um explain the evidence. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, we were a little hamstrung. He told us in advance that he would not discuss any of the evidence. And so we did get to ask these questions of his lawyer, but not him. And that's a little frustrating. But um, I was I, I was torn in two different ways. One is I was very impressed with him. Um, he was very well-spoken. He seemed very emotional. He said several times that he did not kill his wife and would not have killed his wife. But the problem was he was a very, very controlled interview, and that didn't quite match the evidence that we know at trial. Was he able to explain how he ended up in this situation. If it wasn't him, then how did things end up like this? He doesn't have, um, you know, we, of course, asked whether that who would. Does he have another idea who? Because, you know, this was a very violent murder. Mm -hmm. She was shot 14 times, um, close range, in a period of a minute. That part I can't get over. Mm -hmm. That somebody came in the house, and then by the time she tried calling 911, And the time that person left was around one minute. Wow. She was shot 14 times. That is anger. And so, I mean, who else would have that kind of anger? And he did not have an answer for that. So 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, Tim and Becky's relationship. In the hour, um, you showed a video of Becky and Tim during one of their arguments. Uh, Tim said that Becky had become combative during a disagreement at a parent-teacher night. I want to play a little sound. Stop. The letter. I'm asking you to stop harassing me and stop I'm not harassing me. you. I'm asking He offered this video of the incident as proof. We'll make a copy for you. I don't you. want you to take me. Then don't stop take doing me. this. Um, do you guys sort of think about how much of their relationship you want to show? You want to be unbiased. Well, I felt it was important to show that particular snippet mm-hmm. because he had actually filed for an order of protection in part based on that. That was his evidence. Mm. And when I saw it, I saw a woman who was upset that he was photographing her Mm. with his phone, but I didn't think, I didn't get the feeling from looking at it that she was threatening him. And here he was going to court asking for an order of protection. So I thought it was only fair for viewers to make their own decision. Maybe somebody else looking at it would feel differently than I did. But I think it was more the way you described. These are two people going through a contentious divorce. Um, but I didn't see, uh, I, in my view, but yeah. somebody else might see it differently. I didn't see her threatening him. Yeah. I saw a very frustrated woman um, and he was recording it. Yeah. And, you know, when Becky had tried to get an order of protection against Tim, she wrote in her petition that he would often falsify interactions between the two. So he was alleging in this parent-teacher night that she was combative. Now we have video. Let the viewer decide for themselves. So the other thing about this case is that there isn't really the clear bridge between this like toxic relationship that they're in that's, that has fallen apart um, and a homicide. It just, you're like, I, how do you make that leap? But then there are some text messages that are presented by the prosecution. Um, I want to play a little sound from the episode. Days after Tim filed for that order of protection and more than a year before her death, Becky sent her sister Sarah this text. If something ever happens to me, please make sure the number one person of interest is Tim. She would later make similar statements to friends. I said, what did he do? And that uh, text was prompted by uh, the murder of one of her um, colleagues. One of the the nurses that she knew was murdered by um, her partner. That scared her. She felt like this could happen. This is real. You know what? When I, um, you know, look at those texts, um, what I was most struck by uh, was the prosecutor, Laura Keck, who um, said to us, that the the reason why this case had stayed with them so much is that sometimes abuse doesn't end up with bruises and that they really believe that um, Tim Bleifnick was not just controlling, but abusive in a way that you only see behind closed doors. And that those texts, it wasn't just one or two, mm. um, reflected the fact that, um, sadly, Becky was seeing something that the her friends and the neighbors and people didn't see. Um, and, and that is what has stayed with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Becky was shouting from the rooftops, pretty much, that she was scared of Tim. She had a feeling something bad was going to happen. At trial, eight people testified that she had expressed fear to them. And one of the reasons why her sister wanted to speak about this is because she's hoping that something can change from this. She's hoping that 
people will take it more seriously in the future. Many of the people that Becky expressed fears to said, oh, you know, Tim wouldn't do that. He doesn't look like that type of guy. Wow. Watching that interview, it was really hard to make the connection for me between what he is in prison for and this guy who looks like any guy that, you know, you'd see in suburbia cutting his lawn and taking his kids to soccer. And can I just, if in fact he did, and, you know, we know he was convicted of it, 14 times she was shot. That reflects such anger. Yeah. And I didn't see any of that in Tim. There is a lot we didn't see. And he's accused of doing this, too, while his kids are home sleeping in his house. It's very hard to comprehend. Yeah. When we get back, we are going to talk about the trial. Stephanie, you were in the courtroom, so I want to hear about that. And we're also going to discuss an interesting piece of evidence that was not in the hour, which was actually a lack of evidence. I'm going to explain what that means when we get back. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24-7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Welcome back. This case really moved at lightning speed. Uh, Becky was gunned down, killed in her own home on February 23rd, 2023. Tim went on trial for her murder May 23rd, 2023. Exactly three months later, exactly three months later, uh, prosecution had 90 days to bring this to trial. That is an unusual timeline, I think. Usually these things take years almost, right? I This is the first time for me, actually. I mean, I know that, of course, I'm familiar with the concept of speedy trial, but here's what happened. So they, you know, she is shot. Um, they then, the evidence is pointing toward Tim. They arrest him. He has a right to a speedy trial, which means that they had to bring the case in 90 days. Why uh, that just was so fascinating to me because I thought, can they, can they develop a case in ninety days? Sometimes DNA tests take ninety days. Right. 
And so one of the reasons why I was so interested in doing this case is, you know, you only get one bite of the apple. They're going to take him on trial. They don't convict him. It's done. Could they prepare a case in time? Yeah. And they did a remarkable job. They pulled it off. I mean, the police work that went into this was amazing. And you mentioned, you know, something that did not make it into the hour. That Mm. was a very interesting piece of evidence. And it dealt with a fitness tracker that Tim would wear around his wrist. It's called a whoop. And when investigators executed a search warrant on Tim's house and car, they noticed that he was wearing this fitness armband. And so they were able to obtain it and retrieve data from it. And they realized that his whoop accounted for every second of every day, except for the time at which that person was seen on the driveway video Mm. and when that person was seen on the bike. And that was big. Yeah. And I mean, I spoke about the the police work that went into this. They had to go through almost 1.5 million pieces of data from that fitness tracker to determine those gaps in the timeline. Wow. And to them, that meant that they had the right guy. Right. Because it, you know, how it works is so it has to be connected to his phone. And clearly he did not have his phone with him at that moment. So just during those times so that otherwise, so when he was near his phone, the the whoop was working, mm-hmm. uh, except for the time when somebody is seen on the bike and, you know, somebody is seen outside Becky's house. Yeah. So the prosecutors believed actually that Tim thought he was being smart by leaving his phone behind when he went on these bike rides, when really it ended up helping to convict him because he didn't take the whoop off. And it wasn't connected to the phone, and therefore there was no data during those time periods. But it turns out, because he lived so close to her, uh, about a mile, that if he carried the phone with him, they they might not have been able to tell anyway where right. he was. Because he was within that mile, It you know, he could have been hitting off the exact same um, like cell, cell tower, tower anyway. And so, you know, that that was interesting. That is And that helped the prosecution. Um, The other bit that's fascinating is the surveillance footage that they used. The only thing about the surveillance footage is that it's super blurry. Like you can barely kind of make out who this is. And it's absolutely true. You can't tell gender, nothing. The video is only good to show that somebody was going back and forth from the direction of Tim's house to her house and back um, at certain times, but you can't tell who's on the bike. So, Aaron, you spoke to a juror, which gave you guys some real insight as to what was going on during deliberations. Right. And I mean, that's why we try to talk jurors in every single. You learn something that there's no other way you're going to find this out. Yes. So Aaron did interview a juror, but we weren't able to include this in the hour. We just didn't have enough time Mm -hmm. to get to everything, unfortunately. But he did share with us that some members of the jury felt that Tim had the same walk as the person seen in that surveillance video. They were paying attention to the way that he walked in and out of the courtroom. Wow. And they felt that there was a similarity. Wow. And it's actually not the first time we heard that in our reporting either because Becky's brother-in-law said the same thing. He said when he saw that surveillance video play in court, he knew it was Tim's walk. So they did not deliberate for very long. But one of the other things you learned about the deliberations is that there was a holdout initially. 
Yeah, that was surprising. You know, we wouldn't have known that had we not spoken to that member of the jury. And we're always kind of wondering when we're covering a trial, what's going on in that deliberation room? You know, we're hanging out around the courtroom, waiting for the verdict to come in, and hour after hour passed and nothing. And it turns out there was a holdout. And they had to go over the evidence multiple times before mm. they were able to reach a unanimous verdict. But think about it, Emery. There really wasn't much direct evidence. And in fact, mm -hmm. the jurors said to us that what really convinced him was really the only bit of direct evidence, which we did have in our piece, which was the spent shell casings. Mm. Um, the, there were 27 spent shell casings found in his house that... Uh, prosecution said matched. I mean, they had expert mm -hmm. that said matched um, these shell casings found at the crime scene. Um, I think that was probably the real problem with jurors. There wasn't a lot of direct evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and as we all see, he just didn't look like the type to kill his wife. I, you know, just kind of going back to him and his demeanor, I was surprised that he didn't take the sand. I know typically people don't, but it seemed like he might have presented well, for lack of a better phrase. He would have, but there's no question that, um, you know, there her text messages, he would have been asked about why. Right. I mean, so, you know, the prosecution would have been able to bring up things. And I think they that often happens with trials, that they just think the risks are too much. The hardest question for him would be, in my mind, is the fact that on Valentine's Day, uh, Becky ha had a boyfriend mm -hmm. spend the night. And so there is a scene of the person, the prowler is seen um, on video. And Tim says that's not him. But later that morning after that, he is looking up the VIN number and the um, license tag right. of the car that's sitting in her driveway. And so that's very damning evidence because how did he know that car was in if he wasn't that person right, right. on the driveway? And now he says, oh, I knew Becky had started dating someone. I knew that for months. But it's the timing of those searches and the obsessiveness of the searches. I mean, we're talking about, I think, 200 searches in the middle of the night right after that person is seen on that driveway camera. He's trying to find the owner of, you know, who owns this car with this license plate number and this VIN number. He's calling the Department of Revenue in the middle of the, in the night. Middle of the night, yeah, it doesn't. But that's what he would have been asked mm -hmm. by prosecution. That that would have been. That's what I really wanted to ask him. So I think that was a big reason why he couldn't have taken this. Yeah, stand. how can you explain it? it? Just the how many times he tried to do the research tells you something about Tim that we just had not seen in the interview or saw at all in the courtroom. Was it just the VIN number? He looked up other phrases too, right? Oh, well, if you're talking about all the searches. Yeah, the other searches. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that that also was very incriminating. So they found a number of searches um, on his phone. And uh, now we don't know, and I'm not quite sure why they couldn't tell when he made these searches, but mm. they couldn't say when. But they were things like, how do you wash gunpowder off your hands? That's pretty Right, not a typical Google search. No. Um, but also the fact that she was shot, um, you know, so that with a nine millimeter, yeah. um, you know, can you use a crowbar to get into your house? 
Um, you know, there were a number of incriminating searches. How does the defense explain that? Well, the defense points us to the fact that they can't say when those searches were made, so they could have been made after the murder. Maybe he was trying to understand what had happened. He was doing research. That's what the defense says. But, you know, there was even more searches than we were able to mention in the episode. Another one that comes to mind was average Quincy Police Department response time. What? There, there was a lot of searches. That, And yeah. the one that I thought was really the most interesting because it was new for me was um, how to make a homemade silencer for a gun. Oh, my god! You know, who? I mean, I, look, people have guns, but why the silencer? And the idea that, um, you know, there were those little bits of plastic right. that uh, were found around her and they were trying to figure out what were those little pieces of plastic. And now they believe that um, whoever killed uh, Becky and they believe it was Tim was either using it as a silencer, these plastic bags around or some way to collect the casings, which clearly they did not work because there were Casings left at the mm-hmm. crime scene. Oh, and another thing he had searched for was, does my whoop record the times I wear it? There you have it. But now that that could be anything, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> just <Sure>. saying. Just <laughs> saying. Um, so your team was actually at the trial. Um, you guys were there. I'm really curious about the mood in the courtroom. Um, Stephanie, I know you were there for a lot of it. Right. I mean, this is really a family torn apart. And of course, Becky's family was there in the courtroom each day. And Tim's family was there during the trial as well. His mother, his father, his two brothers were there. And I got the sense that this was the first time they were hearing all the evidence. Mm. And they're trying to comprehend it all as it's being presented in court and what this means. And You know, it was heartbreaking because you're really just thinking about Becky and Tim's three kids during all of this, too. They've lost their mother, and now they're potentially losing their father, too. The juror said something, and we see it every time we cover these trials. So you have this couple, and their families came together for a marriage. And then at this trial, it's a little like the same thing you have the bride's family on one side and the husband's family on the other. But this time now, it's the state, the prosecution, and the defense. And that's really heartbreaking. And nobody ever shares sides. They're always sitting on opposite sides of the courtroom. And that strikes me. It it never seems old to me. It strikes me anew every time I see it. And it struck the juror that we talked to as well. Mm -hmm. Tim was found guilty of first-degree murder. He's sentenced to life in prison without parole, without, without the possibility of parole. But I want to talk about Becky's sister's um, impact statement. She delivered this directly to Tim before uh, he was sentenced. You actually, this interview, to remind people that you were able to do, Aaron, happened before he was sentenced, found guilty, but had not been sentenced. So this is sort of fast forwarding in time. And she's able to speak to him directly. I want to play some of that sound. Your children's future will be forever impacted by your crime. They're already suffering. Maybe you should have Googled childhood PTSD in between your internet searches for homemade silencers and VIN numbers. I'm really curious, Stephanie, about what it was like to be in the courtroom when she was delivering this statement. It was very emotional. And many family members of Becky actually gave victim impact statements that day. Her mom spoke. 
her aunts and cousins, her brother-in-law. And there's something that Becky's brother-in-law said while he was on the stand giving his impact statement that really stuck out to me. He said to Tim, and he was looking directly at him, you rode on that bike that night towards all of us. Mm. And it just really put in perspective the amount of victims in this case. You know, everyone who knew and loved Becky has been impacted by this. And I think that that's really what they were trying to get across in the impact statements. And I was just really struck by how forcefully they all spoke. And Becky's brother-in-law and sister in particular looked directly at Tim the entire time. And when Becky's sister actually walked off the stand, she stared directly at Tim's parents. And his parents were sitting behind me. His mom, I think, had sunglasses on, so it was hard to tell what their reaction was, but it was certainly a tense moment in the courtroom. Any final words on this episode in this case? If this case has gotten uh, national attention because of Tim's answer on Family Feud that to go beyond the humor of that and to recognize how serious there's a real serious message with a case like this um, about hidden abuse. Mm -hmm. And Becky's sister is fully aware that the reason why this case got the attention that it did is because of family feud. But she's made the decision to use that to their advantage. They have this platform and they want people to learn from Becky's story. You know, one of the things that Sarah told us in our interview with her is that, you know, she's just hoping that in the future, if anybody that's in a position like Becky, she wants them to be able to find a way to make themselves safe. And, you know, whether that's having a working alarm system or, you know, telling people repeatedly like Becky did, but making sure that the person you're scared of knows that you've told those people. Hmm. Stay with someone else. Don't be alone. Don't let there be an opportunity for something like this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good message. This is a case where what you see on the surface is not necessarily what's happening, but, you know, beneath the surface um, in that she doesn't come off as an abused woman. Um, he doesn't come off as an abuser. Um, there were no bruises that I was aware of or talk of physical um physical abuse. And we have this sense that in order for something, a situation to get to the point where someone is killed, there must be an escalation. It must go from arguing, toxic, physically violent before we get to murder. Doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You can have abuse without bruises. That's what the prosecution said. Yeah. But I should point out, as we're you know coming to an end on this, that this may not be the end of the case. Mm. Um, Tim made it very clear to us in the interview that he is appealing this case. And um, I have run into this in the past. Remember what Stephanie had said, that there were eight witnesses who at trial who talked about the fact that she had either texted or told them that she feared that Tim was going to hurt her. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is Becky is dead and Tim could not confront the accuser. And in some cases in Wisconsin, I've covered another case, the trial was overturned because the judge allowed in that testimony. So is, this, is, is this hearsay? Would that, yeah, that be, well, that be yeah, argued? The judge did not view it as hearsay, but it depends if he appeals. Right. So if... If it doesn't end, I mean, there 
he is appealing this case, and it's based um, in part on the fact that the judge allowed in these witnesses Mm -hmm. to talk about what Becky said when Becky wasn't there to explain. Mm, Really fascinating. So this may not be the end of this. Be sure now to join us next Tuesday for another postmortem. And if you're liking the show, please rate and review 48 Hours on the Apple Podcast. Um, Watch 48 Hours as well, Saturdays, 10, 9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. And be sure to follow 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Before we leave, we have a final note. Uh, We'd like to take a moment to remember longtime 48 Hours colleague John Yacobian. He died this week. John was the director of Global News Syndication and had an almost encyclopedic memory of every 48 Hours episode ever made. Uh, John was also one of the nicest guys in the newsroom and will be forever known for his good heart and his quiet kindness. And he certainly will be missed by the 48 Hours family. Thank you, John. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.